pray a moment. Lord, thank you this morning as we come to the Scriptures. We ask you that you would fill them. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open them. You would give us wisdom and revelation that we might know you. And in knowing you, we might be led to Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we're in a preaching series in which we're looking at this thing called the church. Last week, we saw that the church is not so much about a place as it is about a people. And today, I want to focus on the fact that the church is about God's call rather than about our convenience. You'd think after 2,000 years of history, we would know what the church is all about. We'd have a pretty good idea by this time what it actually is. But there's such a mystery to it. In fact, there's a mystery to it that seems to have affected not only those outside the church, but those who are inside of the church. There's still a lot of confusion. Of course, the first confusion has to do with this thing we're sitting in, these buildings that make it possible for us to worship. They're good things. They're very helpful, especially on rainy days and in the middle of July in South Carolina. I'm grateful for buildings. But too often you hear people say things like, I'm going to the church, and they're talking about that building. I love this story, and I've shared this before, but it's it's a good story. It's about the man who was, well, he was shipwrecked on a desolate island. And he'd been there for like five years. And finally, his prayers were answered. He was rescued, right? A boat came in. He climbed aboard. His rescuers were looking back at the beach where he had been those five years. And they noticed that there were three grass huts, two close together and one way down the beach. And they, and they asked him, we thought you were alone. What, what gives with the three huts? And the man said, well, that first one there, well, that's my house. And the second one there, that's my church. And they said, well, what, what about the third one way down the beach? He said, well, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it was too far away. Maybe it was inconvenient to get to. Maybe it was too early in the morning. I'm not sure. It's important to understand that when the Scripture speaks about the church, it, it's referring to the, the people, the people who have been called by God. And it's not so much referring to the buildings where we meet. It's not so much talking about the convenience that church is to us, but the call God gives to us to be a part of his people. And so we want to look for a few moments at Matthew chapter 16, our gospel lesson there. You know, I love this, this passage. Um, we, we happened, Catherine and I, when we were on sabbatical, we happened to, to go to this place called Caesarea Philippi. It's a fascinating, beautiful place at the, at the headwaters. It's a region, but the heart of it is at the headwaters of the Jordan River. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And we happened to be there on a particularly gorgeous day. It's where the Jordan River literally comes out of a hole in the ground, out of a rock, and it pours out down to the valley below. And right there at the face of, uh, at the headwaters of the Jordan, there was the temple to the god Pan, uh, the, the goat god. And it's in that place 
that Jesus gathered his disciples around him and he said, well, you know, who do the people say I am? And they gave all the usual answers, the kind of answers people are still giving. Some say you're a prophet, some say you're a wise man, some say you're an incarnation of some other person from long ago. But then he asked that question, that all-important question that he asks of us, but who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter gives that wonderful answer, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, yeah, woo, you got it. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Bar-Jonah. This was not revealed to you by any person. This wasn't even revealed to you by your own brain power. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. It was a work of grace that preceded anything that you put into it that you responded to, Peter. And then, and then he said, verse 18, I tell you, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. It's a word we're all familiar with. But in the Greek, it's an interesting word. It's a fascinating word, and it refers to the gathering of people, not to the place where the people gather. Ekklesia. It's, it's the joining together of two words in Greek, and these are important to understand. That first word is ek, which means out of, and the second word comes from the verb kaleo, which means to call. And so when you join those two words together, you get ekklesia, which is the called out ones. The most pure definition of church is the called out out ones. In fact, why don't you say that? The called out ones. That is what the church is, the assembly of the called out ones, those who have been called out from what? Called out from the world through the message of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, those who have responded to God's offer of grace and have come in through a connection with Jesus, to be joined together as his people. It does not have anything to do with our buildings, as good as they are, or our convenience. And in fact, it can often be very inconvenient to be part of the church. But it's a little confusing, I think, because of the way Jesus words it there, right? Look at the text again. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. What is he talking about? He's actually using building terminology on this rock or on this foundation. They they built everything on the foundation of rocks in that culture, right? They didn't want to build on shifting sand. They wanted to build on firm foundations. On this foundation, I will build my church. What is he saying? He's saying based upon God's activity, based upon the incredible and rich and kind and good and outworking will of God, God's desire, based upon God's activity, God will gather together people whom he calls out of the world, whom he calls out of our separateness from him and our separateness from each other, and and in fact, probably even our separateness within ourselves, that we might be joined together 
with Christ as his people for a purpose. We have a purpose, and it's, it's bigger than going to heaven. Right? I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Heaven is the destination. It's not the purpose. Heaven is the, the kind of direction in which we're moving. But the purpose of you being part of the church is that you and me and us and we, and we's a big word in the Bible, that we, as the called out ones of God, as the gathering of his people, would fulfill his purposes in the world. That is actually what it's all about. And what's his purpose? Well, he says it in multiple places, to seek and to save the lost. He's come to rescue lost people. He's come to release the kingdom of God here on the earth. And that's the terminology he uses when he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will already have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed on heaven. That image of keys is an image of authority, of access. I will give you access as the called out ones to the things of heaven. For what reason? So that we might feel good? No, although it often feels good. I will give you access to the things of heaven in order that you might enact my will and my purpose on the earth. That's a bigger purpose than getting rich, retiring young, or going on a great vacation. All the things our culture sort of tells us, this is what you're all about. It's all about you. Not according to the scripture, not as a called out one. We're called to restore people to a relationship with God. And that, as I said, has nothing to do with our convenience. Now, here's the rub on that one. And we all know it, even if we maybe don't say it, we know it internally, is that's really countercultural, isn't it? Me and you know this. I got one nodding head. Either that's so countercultural, it sounds like I'm speaking Chinese, or you're afraid to admit it, or I haven't been clear. Our whole culture... And all the messages that come our way, right, through social media, through advertising in magazines, on the internet, it's all about us. It's about my convenience and your convenience and my comfort and your comfort. Our whole economy essentially is built on the fact that we should be comfortable and everything should be convenient and that's not a bad thing at one level. I mean, I kind of like comforting conveniences. Anybody else? Yeah, everybody nods on that one, right? <laughs> but I believe Jesus would say this to us this morning. I invite you to join me in fulfilling my purpose on the earth. And that has everything to do with your willingness and not your convenience. I was asking him this morning, Lord, what do you want me to say to your people? And those were the words I believe he gave me. I'm going to read them again. I wrote them down. I invite you to join me, not Chris, but Jesus. I invite you to join me in fulfilling my purpose in the earth, and that has everything to do with your willingness. See, he doesn't force himself upon us. He invites and often he'll let us kind of run down the road on our own so we see how bad it is out there apart from him or how hard it is when we do it in our own steam, how challenging it is when we do it our way and we don't learn to hear his voice and learn his ways 
and then join him in what he's doing. But, but what's amazing is that as a called out one, as I learn his ways and I just join him in what he's doing, learning to follow the Holy Spirit, learning to engage in what he's engaging in, it's a lot of fun. It's actually a lot of fun. There's great joy in it. And I find that it's not hard and struggling and challenging. Let me give you a little example. Um, So I was away this week at a pastor's conference. And while I was away, one of our neighbors about two blocks away had a had a fire. This is the second fire in our neighborhood in the last few years. So when I got home, I knew nothing about it, but my family had already prepared a plate of cookies just to say, hey, we're with you. You get that theme of cookies at Holy Cross? We're like all about low bar and big love. It doesn't take a lot. And so the family were all going off their way and so it was, it, would you take these down there? And I'm thinking, but I'm tired. I just got home. And then I just heard the gentle whisper from the Lord, Chris, if you'll just follow me, this will be very easy. Yes, sir, Lord, I'm with you. So I grabbed the plate of cookies that had the lovely note that my wife had written on it, and I went down, and I did the weird thing. I went to my neighbor. That's the culture we're in, right? It's weird. And they're like two whole blocks away. Now, here's what was amazing. Out in the driveway, there's the burned up oven and the burned up microwave and the burned up everything from the kitchen fire that they'd had. And the door is open and they're in this side room, kind of a converted garage. She's on the phone, clearly talking to, you know, an adjuster. And I'm like, hi. And she looks over her shoulder and, you know, big eyes, what are you doing here? But then she got up and she went and she got her husband. And he came out. And I I said, we're so sorry for what happened. We're praying for you. And we just thought we'd bring you something normal. And that's when the tears came down his cheeks. This is a big guy. I found out he's an ex-cop. He's tough. And then for the next 30 minutes, he showed me each burned up piece of his kitchen and told me all about everything that had happened. And he said, you know, I've been in this neighborhood 28 years. Nobody's ever done this for me. I just showed up. But I showed up at the prompting of Jesus, who had first started with my wife and then a daughter, and then, you know, he pulled in the B team and sent me down the road. It was so natural. I left out of there like, woo! That was fantastic. What had I done? I just had loved him and met him where he was. And I just wrote down my number. If you need any help lifting anything, if you need any help with anything, just give me a call. Let me know. It's an invitation to being a called out one, to following Jesus into the normal parts of our life, the places where he puts us, where we can have a profound influence for God's kingdom. Did I share the four spiritual laws? No. (laughs) Did I lay hands on him and and cast a demon out? No. I loved him. And I met him in his pain. I met him in the real place he's living. And you know what? He saw a little glimpse of Jesus whether he knew it or not. Whether he knew it or not. I've opened an avenue to relationship. And so much of what it means to be the called out ones of God who have responded to this message of grace 
is to fulfill his purpose in the world. But here's the thing, guys, lest you introverts get uptight. We don't have to do it alone. We're called to do it together. And, and that's what that whole passage in Hebrews is about. I call it the vegetable verse. Hebrews 10, did you know that's the vegetable verse? It is, because it says, lettuce, lettuce, lettuce. <laughs> Three times it talks about lettuce. I'm serious, look at it. Verse 22, lettuce. Verse 23, lettuce. Verse 24, lettuce. That'll make you look at the scripture. Let us do what? In view of the light that we have a great high priest who has entered into the heavenlies ahead of us and presented his blood as an atoning sacrifice, the Lamb of God, our great high priest, has gone and he's opened the way through his body in his death on the cross. In view of the light that we have access to God in a new way, in a new way, let us draw near with faith. With a, with a heart full of assurance, right? So we don't have to be afraid of God. Grace, 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 grace. We get access to God. Our hearts have been made pure. Our conscience has been cleaned. Our bodies have been washed. Verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, what we say we believe. For he who promised is, is faithful. And then 24, let us be alone with Jesus in our Bibles. No, it says, let us, in view of all the grace we have, in view of all the forgiveness we have, in view of the fact that our hearts are now clean in the new covenant, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We need each other. Grace makes it possible for us to engage with each other. Because here's what I've discovered. People are difficult. There's a good laugh. <laughs> People are difficult. And I put my hand up first. I'm difficult. I'm challenging. Right? I might hurt your feelings at some point. And if I do, I beg you to come and tell me. Please, Chris. You know, why'd you say it that way? Why'd you do it that way? Did you really mean it that way? Please. We have to overcome our natural tendency to divide. We've been brought together as the called out ones. Let us... Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, even in the early church. They were skipping church and jumping out saying, I don't really need a life group. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day drawing near is the return of Christ. Do you think 2,000 years later we're a little closer to the day drawing near than we were at the time in which this was written? We are. Right? And when will that happen? I don't know when it happens. But I know this, the day is drawing nearer. I'm sure of that. Because the scripture says that is what will happen. So let us, let us, let us, because we're the called out ones, let us be the called out ones together, even when it's hard, and it will be hard. I, I, I'll, I'll be honest enough to say that to you. This thing of doing life together is hard. We'll disagree. We're not going to have the same political views. We're not going to come from the same backgrounds. We're going to have different socioeconomic dynamics going on now. We're going to have different levels of dysfunction that we come out of. And as you know, my family put the fun in dysfunction. 
my family of origin, right? My family now is perfect in nearly every way. <laughs> she gave me that head shake. Oh, mercy, right? We're broken people, but we've been called to a beautiful Savior who's about remaking us, and we need one another in order to learn how to love, in order to learn how to forgive. Why? Because oopses happen, and hurt feelings occur, and challenges occur. Let us, let us encourage one another. Let us be for each other the people of God. And let us fulfill the purpose of God in the earth. I heard a story about a young woman. Her name was Linda. It's a true story. She was an adventurer, you know. She, I love people like that, adventuresome. She decided she would travel alone up the Yukon Highway um, up to Whitehorse, Canada. Now, here's the thing about that Yukon Highway up to Whitehorse, Canada you need a really sturdy, rugged vehicle to do that. You need a four-wheel drive vehicle with extra tires and spare gas. She didn't know that, so she set out in her run-down Honda Civic. First night, she stays in a hotel or motel up in the mountains near the summit, and she asked for a 5 a.m. wake-up call, and the guy was like, really, why? She said, well, I want to get an early start on the day. She said, okay, if you say so. So 5 a.m. wake-up call comes, and she figures out why it was that he said, why do you want to get up that early? Because the place was completely socked in by fog. Couldn't see a foot in front of you. And so she thought, well, I'm not leaving now. I better just head on down to the little pub that they had downstairs, the little dining area and while she was there, there were a couple of truckers who were also up, and they invited her to sit down with her to have a meal. And she thought, this is a little weird, but it's a small space, and I guess I will. And, and they asked her, is that your Civic out there? And she said, yeah, it is. And they said, where are you headed? White horse in that little Civic? No way. It's way too dangerous in this kind of weather and on this kind of a road. Well, I'm going to try, she said. So one of them looked at her and said, well, I guess then we're just going to have to hug you. And she said, whoa. And they laughed a little bit. And they said, no, 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 not like that. We're going to hug you on the road. And for the next eight hours, one truck was in front of her and the other truck was behind her and they hugged her as they made their way through dangerous conditions to their next destination. She found out what it is to not be alone and to be with others on the journey. That's the invitation that we're given. Not always convenient, often very inconvenient. Let us do it together, friends, that we might fulfill Christ's purpose in the world. Let's pray. Jesus, um, it's inconvenient, and we just acknowledge that this morning before you. It's inconvenient to go to our neighbors. 
It's inconvenient to invite people to join us at church. Some nights it's inconvenient to go to our life groups or to go serve or to to just do that act of love. Would you give us your spirit and lead us by your voice so that we'll know the things we're called to do and not to do? And joining you as a called out one from the world, we might see the kingdom of God released and the purpose of Jesus fulfilled. Lord, be glorified in this. Just be made beautiful as your people, as we serve you in the world. For your sake we pray, Lord. Amen.